0: Chairman, my dear brethren and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to consider tonight what must surely be one of the greatest events of world history the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'd firstly like to draw your attention to the opening sentence Brother Robert Roberts' his writings to Nazareth Revisited on page 55. Speaking of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Such a lowly beginning to the life of Christ upon earth is an astounding fact. We have been so familiar with it ever since we knew the name of Christ that it fails to strike with the force that belongs to it. I believe the statement of Brother Robert Roberts there applies to all the circumstances that surround the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been so familiar with them from the very earliest times of our life that probably the full impact fails to hit us for that very reason. From very small children we have heard the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ being born in a stable, laid in a manger, the story of the shepherds watching their flocks by night and so on and so forth. So much so that we almost put them in the category of kindergarten stories and by so doing we miss the impact of the astounding things that were wrought in that city of Bethlehem at that particular time. So tonight we want to try and look at the events that surrounded the birth of the Lord and try and see the lessons that Yahweh was trying to impress upon his people. He's trying indeed to impress upon us. By the providence of God, Joseph and Mary were brought to the city of Bethlehem at the appropriate time. As we saw in our last class, Joseph and Mary had been living in the town of Nazareth to the north of the land of Israel. The Bible prophecy demanded that the Lord Jesus Christ be born in the city of Bethlehem. And we see how it was the decree of the emperor of the Roman Empire that brought the fulfilment of that prophecy. And demand is that Joseph and Mary made the difficult and tiring journey down to Bethlehem at a very time when probably little else would have induced them to make that journey. And so we read in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2 And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And so Joseph was compelled to make this journey from Nazareth, southward down to Jerusalem, a journey that probably took some 80 miles not that far as the crow flies, but to make the journey, it would have involved a journey of some 80 miles. At a time when travel was not easy, a time when travel was dangerous, a time that was most inconvenient to Joseph and Mary. And we can picture the little scene, this humble carpenter, his wife great with child, probably riding upon an ass, the ass laden down with the few possessions that were necessary for the journey. We can imagine them labouring along the road, up the hills and through the valleys, making their way down to the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem itself was not a large city. If we go back to Joshua chapter 15 where the the list is given of the cities that became the inheritance of Judah under the dividing of the land under Joshua, Bethlehem never even got a mention. It wasn't considered significant enough to even mention among the cities that were given to Judah. And in the fifth chapter of Micah, that prophecy that foretold that the Lord was to be born in the city of Bethlehem, Bethlehem is there described as though there will be little among the thousands of Judah. But but thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And so Bethlehem is there described as a town that was little among the thousands of Judah. A little town of no significance really. Everybody's heard of Bethlehem today because of the dramatic events that took place there 2,000 years ago. But prior to that, Bethlehem was a town of little significance. A very beautiful little town, I believe, and a town in a very fruitful region of the earth. But apart from that, a city of little significance. And like everything else about the birth of the Lord, the very town that was chosen emphasised his humble origin a town as we saw last time of great spiritual significance witnessing the death of Rachel witnessing the story of of, of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi witnessing the birthplace of King David the place where David had watched his father's sheep it was a a town of spiritual significance but of little significance in any other way it emphasised the humble origin of our Lord. And so, having made this difficult journey, undoubtedly tired and fatigued, Joseph and Mary arrive at the little town of Bethlehem. And we learn that there was no room for them at the inn. You see, people from all over the country were being compelled to travel to the to the uh, uh, cities of their of their uh, fathers for the taxi many people had come to stay at Bethlehem by the time that uh, that, that Joseph and Mary arrived there the inn was full we read in verse 7 at the end of the verse uh, how she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn they couldn't find a room in the inn at Bethlehem you know, had people known, had people known the nature of that uh, uh, of the events that were to take place, that he who was destined to be king over all the earth was to be born in that place, why? Every room in the place surely would have been made available. But you see, people didn't esteem the vision of a humble carpenter and his wife, didn't count it of any esteem. Despite the obvious condition of his wife, no room became available at the inn. You know, the fact that it says no room for them in the inn implies that there was only one inn in Bethlehem. In fact, it's probably uh, quite reasonable to assume that there was only one inn at Bethlehem because it wasn't a large place. And the wording here, there is no room for them in the inn, indicates that there was only one inn. If there had been more, it would have been said there was no room for them in any of the inns. It implies that there was only one inn. And if that is the case, we find that that inn at Bethlehem has an interesting history. The history of it can be traced right back to the times of David. In the second of Samuel, verse 19, we read of events that can be traced from there forward to the inn at Bethlehem, in Second of Samuel nineteen, and reading from uh, reading from verse thirty-two, we read now, Baazilai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old, and he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said unto the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the kingdom to Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore four years old, and can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and of singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king? Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king. And why should the king recompense it me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own country and be buried by the grave of my father and of my mother. But behold, thy servant Chinhan, let him go over with my lord the king and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me, and I will do to him that which shall shall seem good unto thee. And whatsoever thou shalt require of me, that will I do for thee. And so we see here that David was determined that he was going to reward Barzillai for the kindness that he had shown him. And in in, uh, giving that reward, Chimham, probably the son of Barzillai, now accompanied the king and went with the king to Jerusalem. And David was going to re- reward Chimham for the kindness of his father. In the first of Kings chapter 2 and verse 7. Again we have reference to this fact where here Solomon, is giving, David is giving instructions to his son Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 7 David's instructions to Solomon but show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai the Gilead and let them be of those that eat at thy table for so they came to me when I fled because of Abs- Absalom thy brother and so you see just before he died David instructing his son instructed Solomon that he must show kindness to the sons of Barzillai he can be reward for the kindness that Barzillai had shown under him when we come over to the prophecy of Jeremiah we find an interesting little statement in Jeremiah chapter 41 and verse 17 an interesting little statement the events of this chapter have little to do really with what we're talking about it was a time when the uh, people in the land of Israel were fleeing from the Chaldeans. It was a time when they were ha- ha- having to get together to make plans to flee down into Egypt and they brought Jeremiah into their company and sought his advice and Jeremiah told them that even if they fled to Egypt the sword of Yahweh would find them out there. But we read in verse 17 here and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimhan, which is by Bethlehem, to go to enter into Egypt. And this was the site that they had chosen to have their little conference, that they might decide what they were going to do. And they came and they they stayed in the habitation of Chimhan. The word habitation there is the word giruth. Commentators some say that it refers to a lodging place or an inn or a khan which was a place where caravans would rest overnight. And from this we learn two things. We learn first of all that Chimham, the son of Barzilei, although he was a Gileadite, had a possession which is by Bethlehem. And it seems that the King David gave Chimham an inheritance by Bethlehem probably part of his own possessions in that city as a, as a reward for the kindness that Barzilei had shown to him he gave this piece of ground at Bethlehem to Chimham the, probably the son of, of Barzilei and we find that here in the days of Jeremiah there was a lodging place or an inn upon that piece of land that would have been the inn at Bethlehem and quite likely when Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem it was the very same place that they came to Joseph and Mary two members of the royal house of David and they're coming into Bethlehem and they come to the very place which was a memorial of the kindness of David to Basilei and of Basilei to David a very memorial of the kindness that was shown between those two people. And now Joseph and Mary come and the very time is right there for the birth of that great son of David, the seed promised to David, the son that was to be David's Lord. The very time had come for his birth and here they are in this very place. And yet how little kindness is really shown to them and we see that no room was available for them at that particular time no room was available for them at that time when they needed it probably more than anyone else in the end but nevertheless Yahweh provided and Yahweh provided in a very remarkable way he provided in ways that were designed to teach tremendous lessons to his people and despite the fact that they received very little kindness in at that time. They were in this place that was very significant really in Bible history, very significant in the life of David and in the life of Chimhan, from from whom uh, it gained its name. And so we read in verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. The word accomplished means fulfilled or completed. Mary had gone her full time. And so the fullness of time had come while I happened to be staying in that very place. And we read in verse 7 that she brought forth her firstborn son he brought forth her firstborn son. He was her firstborn son because of course we know. She gave birth to other sons afterwards. Four sons are named and we're told that the Lord had sisters also so at least two daughters must have been born too. But the Lord Jesus was her firstborn son. And we read that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The word swaddling clothes, the word really just means to swathe or to wrap. So she wrapped him up in, in, in the clothes that she had brought with her on the journey from Nazareth. You see, notice the words of verse 7 though. She brought forth her son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. You see, Mary had no nurse to attend unto her. The implications of that verse were that she did it herself. In the humble circumstances into which she'd been brought, there was no nurse, there was no uh, medical uh, uh, attendance there at the birth. But she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him up and she laid him in the most convenient place that she could find, a place where he would be safe in a manger that was there in the stable in which they were camping on that particular night. In the 16th chapter of Ezekiel we learn that this was the custom in Jewish times to wrap up the child in this manner. And here we have Yahweh speaking to uh, to, to, to Jerusalem. In verse 3 we read and say Thus saith Adonai Yahweh unto Jerusalem Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan Thy father was an Amorite, thy mother an Hittite And as for thy nativity In the day thou wast born thy navel was not cut Neither wast thou washed in water that suppled thee Thou wast not salted at all nor swaddled at all And there in that verse mention is made to thee Normal treatment that the child received at birth. shows that they were washed, they were rubbed in salt, and they were wrapped up in clothes. We see here from verse 7 of Luke chapter 2 that Mary followed that custom and she wrapped her son up in swaddling clothes, for she swayed him, while she wrapped him up, and she laid him in a manger the manger being the most convenient place she could find me. A manger, the word manger, it means a crib, though it can apply also to the stall in which the animal was kept. It is used in that way in a later chapter in the Gospel of Luke. But here it obviously, I believe, refers to the crib, the very place in which the animals were fed. i can like read the rest of that quotation from Brother Robert Roberts in Nazareth Revisited. He says, "...a lowlier birth it would be impossible to imagine. Parents lowly, though of nobody's sense, and forced for the moment into the lowliest position in the city of their kindred, to a third with the ox and the mule, which have no understanding, in circumstances offensive to every delicate sensibility, repugnant to the most rudimentary sense of self-respect. What are we to think about? It is surely easy to read the lesson Christ the highest began the humblest God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the mighty This mode of operation will not cease to be exemplified your God's own glorious power becomes visibly visibly incorporate and manifest in the vessels of his choice who among us then need weary or be ashamed of the humbling circumstances meanwhile associated with the truth it is natural to be ashamed of them but reason forbids who among us can wisely seek the great and honourable things of the present world it is natural to seek them But wisdom says be content with food and raiment. Be not conformed to the world. Pass the time of your sojourning in fear. If Christ from the start of his career was counted with the despised, we may gladly suffer with him on this point during the few days we are here. The reversal that comes with his return to the earth will compensate for all the sufferings and humiliations of this present time are but a light affliction working out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, what Brother Robert Roberts is telling us there is that in the very humble beginnings that the Lord has, there is an exaltation for all who will identify themselves with Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of the Highest. He was the Son of the Possessor of Heaven and Earth. The God of Heaven could, could have given him any circumstances he wanted to. He could have had him born in the most magnificent palace in the land. But he didn't. He had him born in a state. He had him laid in the place from which animals feed. And surely, brethren and sisters, Yahweh could not have gone to any greater lengths to try and impress upon us that when it's all boiled down, material things are of no real value at all. Because out of those humble beginnings came a perfect life. And that's a lesson that Yahweh that's the lesson number one that Yahweh was trying to impress. And as Brother Roberts points out, it's an exhortation for every son and daughter of God. We read that upon that very time when the Lord was born in verse eight, We're told that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. There were shepherds abiding in the same country. In the very district of Bethlehem there were found these shepherds separated from the community out in the fields at night watching over their flocks. We don't need to point out to you that shepherds figure very prominently in the Bible story. We go back to the very earliest pages of the Bible and we learn that Abel was a shepherd. We learn that Abraham, the father of the faithful, was a shepherd. Likewise, Isaac and Jacob, they were all shepherds. These were the ones that Yahweh chose to be the fathers, of the nation of Israel the ones to whom the covenants of promise were made and they were all shepherds in due course of time the descendants of Jacob went down into Egypt and there in Egypt for 230 or so years that nation were kept separate and they maintained their separateness why? because they were shepherds It was the fact that they were shepherds that kept them separate from the things of Egypt and they were still a a separate nation that could be brought out to return to the land of promise at a later time. And when the time of their deliverance from Egypt came the angel of Yahweh went forth to announce the exodus and who did he visit? He visited the shepherd Moses as he kept the flock of Yahweh in the wilderness. And likewise again here now then we find that when the time had come for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and that birth to be announced to the people of Israel, whom did Yahweh choose? He chose the shepherds, keeping the flock by night upon the hills of Bethlehem. (coughs) Shepherds are selfless people, Shepherds are people who have to give to, to whom the flock is more important than self. If necessary, they have to be prepared to lay down their lives for the flock. And we can see the lessons that Yahweh is, uh, is using. Yahweh speaks of the nation of Israel as his flock. He speaks of the ecclesia as his flock, and he has appointed shepherds to watch over his ecclesia and he appointed shepherds to watch over the nation of Israel. And that little picture that we can construct in our minds of that night at Bethlehem would have been a night in the summer months, probably a cloudless sky with the stars brightly shining forth in the sky. And there's this little group of men out in the fields, away from the comforts of their homes, separated from those who were preoccupied, in their own affairs and they're out there in the fields watching over the flocks protecting, leading, feeding the flocks their lives were involved with those sheep as they're out there keeping the flocks but these were no ordinary shepherds these shepherds were faithful men we can say that with every confidence because to who else would Yahweh have sent his angel to announce the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would he have chosen men indifferent to the things of God? Would he have chosen shepherds who couldn't care less whether the Messiah was born or not? Would he have chosen men that were ignorant of the divine purpose? Of course he wouldn't. Here was a little group of men waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here was a little group of men waiting for the time when the Messiah would be manifest uh, and, and, and that uh, deliverance could be wrought for Israel. And here was a little group of men watching over the flock by night. And that little picture, brethren and sisters, is, is a picture of what the whole nation of Israel should have been. It's a picture of what the ecclesia of God should have been down through the ages. It's a little picture that the Lord wants to find upon the earth when he comes at his second coming. As we see that little group of men working together, cooperating one with the other, feeding the sheep, protecting the sheep, caring for the sheep, guiding them. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he wants to find his flock. He wants to find his ecclesia gathered together separated from the world. He wants to find faithful shepherds watching over those sheep, caring for them, protecting them, feeding them in the darkness of the night. You see, and there, in verse 8, we have that little picture of Yahweh's ecclesia, what Israel should have been, what we should be now. And it was to that little group of shepherds that Yahweh's angel was sent. We're told that they were keeping watch over the flock by night. You notice the margin for what says the night watches. They were watching through the night watches. There's probably a little group of men there taking it in turns to watch over those sheep for for a period of time. We don't know how many shepherds there were. It's not really important. But there was a little group of men cooperating together, working together, protecting that that little flock of sheep by night. You see, and they were faithful men, men waiting for the consolation of Israel. And in verse 9 we read, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The angel of the Lord came upon them, the words came upon mean literally stood beside. It implies that suddenly and unexpectedly that little group found that there was an extra one to their number. You see, the, the word is used, the same word uh, translated there came upon them is used in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. But the Lord says, speaking to us, He says, "Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and the cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. Suddenly, without expecting it, without any warning, you find yourself in this in this uh, uh, set of circumstances, and the day comes." unexpectedly upon you there's the word used come upon me. it's used again in uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 4 and it came to pass as they were much perplexed uh, thereabout behold two men stood by them in shining garments and here again it's used to refer to the uh, uh, sudden presence of angels unexpectedly people were occupied in the the, uh, where the Lord's body was and so forth and then suddenly there's two men standing beside them in shining garments the Apostle Paul uses the word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and at verse 3 we read for, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So here again we see it's something which comes suddenly and unexpectedly upon them. So the inference of verse 8 here, verse 9 rather, is that while this little group of men were busy watching over the sheep, probably watching the stars in the sky, maybe meditating upon the things of the truth, meditating perhaps upon the events of David's life that took place in that very region where David likewise watched his father's sheep. While perhaps they're thinking upon things such as this, suddenly they become conscious that there's an extra person to their number. You see, it's so much like it will be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. Suddenly, we will have somebody with us. An angel will have been sent to reveal to us that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned. May it be, brethren and sisters, that we might be found by those faithful shepherds, watching, feeding, caring for the flock through the darkness of the night. And we read at the end of verse 9 there, Suddenly this, the angel came upon them, and the glory of Yahweh shone about them, and they were sore afraid. So they had no sooner become conscious that this other person was there, when suddenly there was a brightly shining forth, man, a manifestation of the glory of Yahweh that stroked fear into their hearts. You know, there were amazing things that were being enacted upon the hills of Bethlehem upon that particular night. You know, we go back to the scriptures and we look at the places and the ways in which the glory of Yahweh has been used. We go firstly back to Exodus chapter 16 and we have a reference there to a manifestation of the glory of Yahweh. We know the story of Exodus 16, of course, it's a chapter that records the giving of the manna. The chapter starts by recording the murmuring of the children of Israel. And it finishes with Yahweh providing them with bread. But in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 16 we read, or reading from verse 9, And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Yahweh, for he hath heard your murmuring, and it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that so they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of Yahweh appeared in a cloud. Uh, and we read um, in verse 12 I have heard, or Yahweh spake unto Moses saying I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them saying at even ye shall eat flesh. And in the morning he shall be filled with bread and he shall know that I am Yahweh your God. So here in the evening they looked toward the wilderness and they beheld the glory of Yahweh. They beheld the glory of Yahweh then that even they should eat flesh and in the morning they would be filled with bread. But before they got that bread they saw the glory of Yahweh. And now you know, upon those hillsides of Bethlehem in the night the glory of Yahweh shone forth. And having beheld the glory of Yahweh those shepherds then went down into the city of Bethlehem and they beheld he who is to be the bread of life. He who is there is to be the antitypical manner, manna the one upon which his household should be. And you see, these things would fill the minds of those faithful shepherds as they beheld the glory of Yahweh. And their minds, probably not at that moment, but afterwards, would go back over these events when the glory of Yahweh had been previously manifested. In the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, we learn that after the tabernacle was built, and after the tabernacle was filled with the glory of Yahweh at his dedication, we find that that glory took up residence. Above the mercy seat, between the two cherubims, we upon the ark of the testimony. We read in Exodus 25 uh, and at verse 22, And there I will meet with thee, And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the Ark of the Testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And it was there above the mercy seat between the cherubim that the glory of Yahweh took up residence. And there was the meeting place between God and Israel. And he was to commune with Moses from off that mercy seat. You know now to the shepherds the glory of Yahweh was manifested, and we read in John chapter 1 and verse 14 of the Lord Jesus Christ that the word was made flesh and tabernacled as the word dwelt means and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory even as the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth And in that little babe that was born in Bethlehem on that night, there was the anti-typical mercy seat. There was that man through whom Yahweh would meet with his people. The man through whom he would speak with his people. The one through whom the whole purpose of Yahweh was to be fulfilled. And ultimately the earth became filled with his glory. And the shepherds beheld the glory of Yahweh. At the very time when that child was born, indicating that here was the anti-typical mercy seat through whom Yahweh would meet with his people. Now we go over through history, we come to the first of Kings chapter 8 and verse 11 and we learn that when Solomon's temple was built and, and at the time of its dedication, we learn that that temple was filled with the glory of Yahweh. In first of Kings chapter 8 verse 10 and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that so the cloud filled the house of Yahweh, so that the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of Yahweh had filled the house of Yahweh. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that so the cloud filled the house of Yahweh so that the priest could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of Yahweh had filled the house of Yahweh. We read in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians how Yahweh is building a temple of spiritual stone, a temple of people, and the chief cornerstone of that house is the Lord Jesus Christ, that babe that was born at Bethlehem. There was the chief cornerstone of that temple that's going to be filled with the glory of Yahweh. And at the time of its birth, the shepherds were shown the glory of Yahweh, indicating that those things were to be accomplished through that child that was born. And as we go through the history of Israel, we find we come to the days of Ezekiel and the tragedy of their history. That because of the faithlessness of that people, Because they turned their backs upon Yahweh, Yahweh's glory was withdrawn from that temple. It departed from that nation. Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 18 Ezekiel beheld the glory of Yahweh depart. Then the glory of Yahweh departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims and the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went, the wheels went also and so on and so forth. And there was the departing of the glory from that temple because of the faithlessness of Israel. And so the glory departed. But Ezekiel in chapter 43 and verse 2 tells us that the day will come when the glory will return and will be manifested in the temple of the future. Be manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ and his uh, multitudinous drive. And of course it is the purpose of God as we know from Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21 that the whole earth is ultimately to be filled with his glory and that is all to be accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is to bring about the restoration of that glory. He is the one who is ultimately to fill this earth with his Father's glory as the waters cover the sea. And all those things were indicated to the shepherds that night as the angel appeared unto them and the glory of Yahweh shone forth indicating to them that in the city of Bethlehem was born that child through whom all these things would be accomplished. The one who was to be the true bread of life. The true manna. The one who was to be the mercy seat through whom Yahweh would meet with his people and speak unto them. The one who was to be the cornerstone of Yahweh's temple of living sons. The one who was to bring back the glory to the city of Jerusalem and ultimately fill the earth with that glory. And what an astounding thing took place around the city of Bethlehem upon that particular night as once more after a long period of time the glory of Yahweh was manifested to men. And we read that the angels were sore afraid. That Not the angels, the shepherds rather, were sore afraid. We can well imagine that they would be. If such an event took place in this hall this night, we too would probably be sore afraid. And when the angel summons us to the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus' Christ, which of us will go to that place filled with confidence Perhaps we should have confidence. Perhaps we have got confidence in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in his power to forgive. But which of us, in the full knowledge of what we are, would not be afraid? And will not be afraid when that day comes. And thus it was with the shepherds upon that night, near the city of Bethlehem. But in verse 10 we have the assuring words of the angel unto them, Fear not, don't be afraid, because you see of all the people of that nation, these men have been separated out by the grace of Almighty God to so receive the revelation of the mighty things that were being done. And so the angel said, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be for all people. Glad tidings or glad tidings. He brought the gospel. Good news. Literally the word should read, glad tidings which will be a great joy to all the people. You see, not just Jews. Not just the people of Israel. But it was to bring great joy to all the people. You see, Luke is is, um, writing from the aspects of of the man. He's writing to to Greeks it's impressing here that the work of Christ is for all people not just Jews and the glad tidings that the angel was to bring were such that they would bring great joy to all people because through that child that was born uh, they would be able to be brought into a right and an acceptable relationship with Yahweh and could one day manifest the glory of God in this earth. And so in verse 11 the angel delivers the glad tidings which are a great joy to all people. It is for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour which is Christ the Lord. Those are the words of verse 11 first of all. For unto you is born it echoes Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Words that are well known to most of us. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The prophet Isaiah speaking of the faithful remnant of Israel. He says, For unto us, chapter 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, or Elgibor, the Everlasting Father, or the Father of the Age, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of Yahweh of armies will perform this. In verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And Now the angel says to this little group of faithful shepherds, unto you is born this day. (coughs) Here was the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 being fulfilled. Unto the faithful in Israel at that time, this child was born in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ, Lord. There's no definite article there in front of Lord. That is the threefold titles that the angel gives to this child. He's, the, he's a savior because he's going to save his people from their sins. He's the fulfilment of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He's going to conquer sin and open up the way of salvation. He's Christ because he's to be anointed with the Spirit. He's going to be be a bearer of divine nature. Uh, And he is Lord because he's the one promised in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 and 28 the one who will have dominion. He will have lordship. And so the angel draws attention to those three aspects. He's the saviour, he's the Christ or the anointed of God, and he is the one who is to have the dominion over all the earth. And so having revealed then, under the shepherds, the mighty things that have taken place in the city of David, The Messiah is born. He's going to be the saviour. He's going to have the dominion. And it's a great joy to all the people for his saving power will extend to all people, not just the people of Israel. And then in verse 12 we read, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a an manger. You know, when we ponder over the things of this verse, what an astounding combination of things we have in that verse. The words were spoken to shepherds, men who are used to an agricultural way of life, men who are well used to caring for animals, men who are used to feeding the flock, and so the words are spoken to shepherds. And he says, this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe lying in a manger. And the manger, as we've seen, is a crib. It's a place where animals see. And there was the babe, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was to be the bread of life the one who was to be the food for Yahweh's flock and for Yahweh's herd, And that was the sign that the shepherds were to find. And as those shepherds came to that place and they saw that babe lying in a feed trough, what an amazing lesson they were being taught. Because here in that child was the food for Yahweh's flock and for Yahweh's herd. There was the food for Yahweh's ecclesia. And here were the shepherds, the feeders of the flock. And what a lesson Yahweh was endeavoring to impress upon those men at that time. Here's the food you're going to have to administer to the flock. Here's the one that's going to feed and to be food and sustenance for the flock. And Yahweh was directing the attention of those shepherds to this fact. And what an amazing sign it was when we saw the Congress. Because there, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is the bread upon which every one of us should be feeding, And there he is, displayed unto us, lying in that very place from which the animals would feed. And there was the food for Yahweh's Ecclesia. Indeed, it were astounding things that were happening around the city of Bethlehem at that particular time. We can see that not only was there very humble circumstances that are an exhortation to every one of us, but the very circumstances of that birth, the very circumstances that surrounded it, are showing us the ways in which we can identify with him by feeding upon the example that he has set, by feeding upon his, him as the bread of life, that we might be built up and strengthened and sustained in the service of Almighty God. And so the angel revealed to these shepherds that the Messiah had been born. He gave them the sign that they'd find him lying in a manger. And then in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so suddenly now, they're not only confronted with one angel that's telling them astounding things, but eyes are open now and they see the host of heaven, they see a multitude of angels now rejoicing together over the things that have been done in that city that night. Those angels are rejoicing and they're praising God for the things that have been accomplished. And what an amazing thing that is. You know, we read in the Word of God of another occasion where the angels of God rejoice. We read of that in the book of Job. In Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38 and verses 6 and 7. And here Yahweh is speaking to Job. Yahweh is answering Job out of the whirlwind. He says in verse 5, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched a line upon it? Speaking of the signs of the creation. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Uh, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know that that, that verse in in Job 38 is telling us that when the work of creation took place the angels rejoiced and they sang together and they rejoiced over what had been accomplished. And now to the opened eyes of those shepherds they beheld the angels of God rejoicing and praising God for the great things that have been done. Why? Because a new creation has been commenced. You know, in the third third chapter of the Apocalypse, and at verse 14, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the beginning of the creation of God. We read, uh, Unto the angel of the Ecclesia of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, The beginning of the creation of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new creation. He's the foundation stone of that new creation. And in the birth of that child, Yahweh was laying the foundation stone of that new creation. And just as when the foundations of this Adamic creation were laid, the angels of God rejoiced and sang together, So it was revealed to the angels now, revealed to the shepherds now, that the angels were rejoicing and singing together because of that which Yahweh was accomplishing, because he was laying the foundation of a new creation, that new creation that will ultimately fill this earth with glory. And the eyes of those angels witnessed this. They witnessed the angels of God rejoicing together and singing praises unto the Most High because of what he has done and indicating to them that here was the beginning of a new creation and that new creation, brethren and sisters, must be taking place in every one of us. In Paul's epistle to the Galatians in chapter 6 at verse 15 we read of these things. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, or as the words imply, a new creation. See, circumcision was an outward thing of the flesh. Mattered nothing, made no difference at all. The thing that counts in Christ Jesus is a new creation the thing that counts brethren and sisters is that the Christ character is being developed in us that's the important part that's the new creation that should be taking place in us at this very time and that's the creation that the angels of God rejoice over and the angels saw that rejoicing they witnessed it with their own eyes upon that marvellous night uh, uh, at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and in verse 14 we're told what the angels were actually saying. They were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels first of all were attributing glory to God in the highest because this was his work. This was a child of his providing. It was his work and so they directed the glory to him. And they could see that through this child that was being born, that had been born, that that, that glory would reflect to God in the highest. You see, when the, uh, as we noted from from John chapter 1 and verse 14, people that that, that, uh, looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ with the eye of faith, they beheld in him the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. They saw him, full of grace and truth. So there, in that sense, the moral glory of Yahweh was demonstrated to people on earth. And people can look upon that and glorify God in heaven for what he has done. So through that child that has been born, glory to God in the highest is to ascend from this earth. And this earth is ultimately to be filled with the glory of God. And then the angels go on and they say, "On earth, peace, goodwill toward men." You know, these are words that we're so familiar with. They're so familiar with. They're on the lips of the Gentiles at Christmas time, and so on and so forth. Peace, goodwill toward men. You know, those words don't really convey perhaps the significance of what the angels really said originally. The Revised Standard Version seems to be a more literal translation of those words. It renders it in this way Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's the more literal meaning of those words. On earth Peace among men with whom he is well pleased. You see, the goodwill towards men is a good will that comes forth from Yahweh. It's his goodwill extended to, 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 to people pleasing unto him. And by means of that goodwill or that grace, peace is going to be established on earth. And the angels could see that in the birth of this son, Here was the extension of Yahweh's grace to man. It is through that son that this earth is ultimately to be filled with peace. Without him it could never be filled with peace. And so peace was to come through this child that had been born and was to be extended to men with whom God is pleased. Men who will identify themselves with that son. Men who will treat him as the bread of life and feed upon him. Men who recognize that he is the beginning of a new creation and endeavor to develop, or endeavor to allow Yahweh's word to develop in them the Christ character. Those are the people in whom God is pleased, and those are the people that will delight themselves in the abundance of peace when this earth is filled with the glory of God through the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, we we read in verse 15, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So the shepherds wasted no time. They had this amazing vision of angels rejoicing. And now they moved and they say, well, let's go down to Bethlehem and see these amazing things that are taking place. And with haste, they left everything they had. They left it and with haste, they went down into Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph. You see, they'd merely been told by the angel that they'd find him in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There may have been many mangers in a town like that, we in the middle of an agricultural region. They had to seek out the manger and find it. For we're told in verse 16 that they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, and they found it exactly as the angel had revealed. There was He who was to be the Bread of Life, lying in that very place where the animals would come to feed, and they were, and they beheld this with their very eyes. They were being shown that if they were to be shepherds of Yahweh's flock, there was the food upon which they must feed. And so we read in verse 17, and when they had seen it they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So there's an amazing way in which Yahweh works. You see, the circumstances of that particular time had not only brought Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem, it had brought people from all parts of that land to Bethlehem. All the people whose house and lineage took them back to Bethlehem were gathered there and assembled there at that particular time. And now suddenly at this time, now there's shepherds in the town saying astounding things about things that were happening. Visions of angels uh, and so on and so forth. And the shepherds were making these things known now. We're told that they made it known abroad. The saying which was told them concerning this child. And there were those shepherds now, telling the people of that place that the Messiah had been born, that he was there in that very city of that time, that the angels had revealed it to them, and so on and so forth. And you see, in a few days, many of those people were going to go back again, to all parts of that land. And so Yahweh was making it known, you see. He was having that message taken throughout the length and breadth of that land so that some 30 years later back there may be people who have been prepared to accept his son and identify themselves with him. But we read in verse 18 and all those that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They wondered at it. They were amazed or astonished at the word means. I' are absolutely amazed at the things that the shepherds said. So there's something rather tragic about that verse really when we read on. Because notice how a contrast is drawn between verse 18 and verse 19. The people in verse 18 wondered at those things which were told them. They were amazed. But the wonder didn't really last very long. They soon returned to the mundane things of life because the verse 19 draws a contrast but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart you see the people heard those things, they wondered at it but they were soon forgotten or perhaps the seeds of it lodged in the minds of some perhaps it was from the declaration of the shepherds here that, 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 that later many were to bring these things back to mind and accept the Lord Jesus Christ at a later time. But the implication of these verses is that although the people were amazed and astonished at what they heard, they were soon forgotten as people went back to their the mundane ways of life and became absorbed and preoccupied in their own things. But Mary was different Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You can imagine Mary, how she'd be deliberating over all these events. The way she'd been brought providentially to Bethlehem, to the sitting of David. The way the circumstances had demanded that she lay her child in a manger. The the way that the angels had appeared to the shepherds that the shepherds had seen the glory of Yahweh, that the shepherds had, had, had witnessed the rejoicing of the angels. She remembered all these things and she pieced them all together in her mind. But she tried to put together a picture of those mighty things that would be accomplished through the Son that she had born. Mary, as we have seen in the previous chapter, Is a type of the Ecclesia of God, and may it be, brethren and sisters, that we might follow the example of Mary, that we be not like the crowd at Bethlehem, that were amazed at the marvelous things but soon forgot them. Let us be like Mary. Let us endeavor to keep these things in our hearts, to ponder them, and to piece them together. And so we read in verse twenty that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. So exactly as the angels had revealed it, so they found it down in the city of Bethlehem, and they returned to their to their flocks upon the hillside, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. Indeed, it would have been a night that was not soon forgotten by those shepherds. And what wonderful lessons they had been shown. They had been shown that here in this child was the one through whom the glory was to be manifested and would ultimately fill this earth They'd been shown that 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 child was the foundation stone of a new creation to uh, which the angels were rejoicing. They had been shown, brethren and sisters, that if they were to be shepherds of Yahweh's flock, they must minister the food of the Lord Jesus Christ to his sheep.